we are a people, we are people that crave identity and purpose. We do. It's at the heart of who we are. We want, um, we want something that gives us affirmation and approval. We want something that is bigger than we are, that tells us that we are as good as we want to be. We want to be affirmed. We want identity. We want to say to ourselves that we are worth something. And we want someone to say to us that we have worth. We do. It's at the, it's at the heart of who we are to be attached to something bigger. It says yes to me. We want it. We crave it. We desire it. Think about even the way, just simple introductions, the way that we introduce ourselves to one another, right? If, if you were to meet me, I would say, hi, my name is Chad. And the follow-up question would be, so what do you do? Or uh, where do you work? And I'd say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor, at one of the pastors at Shades Mountain Baptist Church. I'm, I'm hitching, I'm connecting my identity to something. Or uh, I, my name is Chad and I am Holly's husband. My name is Chad and I am Abby, Noah, Jude, or Micah's dad. I'm, I'm connecting to something else. I'm, I'm getting identity, I'm getting worth, I'm getting value from my position, whether that's as a pastor or as a husband or as a father I'm affirming myself or desiring affirmation from, from what I connect myself to, from my identity. It's, it's part of the human condition. We're, we're all made in this way and it all manifests itself in one way or another. For you, it may not be your position at, at your job or it may not be the fact that you are married to a person or the father or the mother of uh, specific children. It may be um, your ability to do something. It may be your intellect. It may be your appearance. It may be um, the approval or the, the, the way that you have excelled in your, in, in your workplace, in your sphere of influence. We're all created with this desire for identity, to be connected to something. And God actually, he's actually created us this way. He's created us to desire identity, to, to desire affirmation, to desire to be approved of. And he's done this in such a way that we would ultimately only find our identity or our approval or our affirmation only from, only from him from no one else, from this outside affirmation that we're looking for, this outside identity and approval that we're, we're searching for and connecting ourselves to. He's placed that desire in us so that we would be satisfied, so that we would search no more. And the truth is that we have all walked in this room this morning um, searching. We've all walked in this, this room this morning looking for identity in someone or something or some place. And we all know what it's like in, in searching for identity in those ways to also feel like we've come up short, like that desire is not fulfilled. Like my identity actually tells me that I'm less than what I want to be told. I'm thinking less of myself than I want to think. Others are thinking less of me than I want them to think of me. And so we're all walking in here looking for identity, looking for, looking for purpose. Um, we are in this series, uh, uh, The Kingdom of God, and this second section that we're in is talking about kingdom citizenship. And last week, Danny um, started down the road of Matthew chapter 5, which is where the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7. Um, he started down this road talking about um, that, those first several verses, which are coined as the Beatitudes. And he talked about the character of the kingdom. What is it, what is it like to be a part of the kingdom of God? And this morning, we're going to take another step. And we've talked about the character, but we're going, to, we're going to take this step to say who we are as people inside the kingdom of God. 
So just, just kind of like as a refresher, by way of what we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God, is the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. It's the reign and rule of God. It's where God rules with ultimate authority and he reigns with perfect power. It's where God's completely in control. And whenever Jesus comes on the scene, um, we see in Matthew chapter four, when he comes on the scene and he, he moves into his earthly ministry, he goes and he starts proclaiming the good news, this good news that the kingdom of God is here, that through Jesus's existence, his birth here on earth, God becoming man, that his, his kingdom's being initiated. The reign and rule of God, the ultimate authority, the perfect power of God being seen here on earth. And so as we look at the idea of where we find identity and even what our kingdom citizenship looks like, we have to remember that to be, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a citizen of the kingdom of God means that we are submitting ourselves to this rule, submitting ourselves to this reign, that we are a part of the kingdom. We are a people that are, are responsible to the king of all things, the one who is in ultimate authority, the one who has all power, now, how do we do this? How do we, how do we become a citizen of the kingdom? How do we become a part of the people of God? If all things are under God's authority and under God's control, if he has perfect power to exercise what he wills, why would I not want to be a part of his kingdom? Why would I not, to be, why would I not want to be one of his people? But how do we get there? How do I land in that place? How do I find my identity as a citizen of the kingdom, as one of the king's people? And what we see is that, that, that through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus, this is where we see God's rule and reign exercised in perfection, his ultimate authority, his perfect power. That from the time of creation, whenever man chose to rebel, to push against God and to say, I can do it my own way. And we still, we still do that. I still do that. I say, I can do it my own way. That God had a plan and that plan was to come to earth and be 100% God, 100% man, completely God, completely man, that God himself would put on flesh and that he would take on that rebellion that I've lived out, that rebellion that we've lived out, that pushback that we have toward God that says I can do it my own way, that sin that separates us from a perfect and holy God, the one who has ultimate authority, the one who has perfect power. God came to earth and he put on flesh And he took that rebellion upon himself on a cross. But first he lived in perfection. He lived in a way that that we can't live. He lived without flaw. He stood in our place in perfection, living the life that we should have lived to live in perfect relationship with God. That's what Jesus did. Then he dies on a cross, taking our sin, paying the price for our offense towards God. And then he doesn't just die. He rises from the grave and one day will come back again. So to be a part of his kingdom, a part of God's kingdom, we put our faith and our hope in the, in, in the truth that Jesus came, that he lived for us, that he died for us, and that he will come again. And that in his living and in his dying and in his coming again, he has achieved for us right relationship with God. That that offense that we have between us and God, that it can be completely resolved, it can be completely fixed through the blood of Jesus Christ. When we find our identity in that truth, in that good news, that we don't have to live in separation, that we don't have to live on our own, that we don't have to live searching and working and trying to earn a right relationship or approval or identity, when we put our hope in that truth, in that good news, we are part of the kingdom of God. 
God is our king and, and we are his citizens. We are citizens of that kingdom. So Danny talked about the character. This week, we're gonna talk about this identity, but I'm, I'm kind of setting the stage before we jump back into Matthew chapter five, because where we are today, it's so important. It's so pivotal. We have to talk about who we are before we talk about what we do as who we are. And that's what a lot of the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's a lot about how people within the, the, the kingdom of God, how they operate and act and respond. But we have to make sure before we move into that onset, and this is, this is the way Jesus has structured this sermon, before we move into that, we have to make sure that we know who we are, who he says we are, who our identity is found in, rather than just kind of trying to act and do and approve and find and, and accomplish and, and do the right thing. Before we can do the right thing as the people of God, we have to recognize who we are, and this is what Jesus is, is talking about in Matthew chapter 5. So look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. Jesus is talking here, and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this passage here, Jesus is, um, for any of us that are preachers, pastors, communicators, we look at the way that Jesus communicates and it's, it's, it's like perfect, right? He, because he's perfect, you with me? Okay, the way that Jesus communicates is perfect. So he, he pulls us in here. He's talking about what the kingdom of God is like. And then he says, and you are, he's saying to the people that are there, they're sitting on a hillside, Jesus is talking to them. He's unpacking what it's like to be a part of the kingdom of God. And he says, you are, the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. He talks about these two things that are just really common to the human experience. They were common to them back then in the time that Jesus was teaching, and they are common to us today. There are these kind of like tactile, sensory things. We talk about salt, and we can, um, we can think of the smell of the salt when we go down to the beach, right? Like you step out of the car once you've been driving down to Orange Beach or whatever, you get out and you smell the salt. You, you taste it in so many various ways. Light, we, we know what both its presence and its absence looks like. We, we, we so much need it in just our functioning of daily life, the presence of light. And Jesus uses these two things. And, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He uses these object lessons to teach a deeper truth. So the last thing that I want you to hear me, um, just as we're kind of moving forward, the last thing I want you to hear me say that you would walk out of here with today is that you need to be saltier or that you need to shed more light, Okay. What we're saying today is, is Jesus is teaching a deeper truth within this context. Now, those are the, the, the byproduct of finding our identity in Jesus, is that we act as salt and we act as light, but we have to hit that root first. We have to hit what Jesus is saying here. But first, let's, let's focus on these elements. So when we think about salt, um, there are those of us that uh, really like salt. I'm, I'm a salty guy. Like I go to Milo's and get the French fries just because they pour all that orange salty, you with me? All that orange salty stuff on top of it because it's just so good. And sometimes after I eat it, I feel like I may potentially have a heart attack as I'm driving home, but like it's good. It's really, really good. I love the salt. 
I love it. And it's in everything, right? There's salt in the cookies that we eat, on the french fries that we eat. There's, um, there's salt. I mean, think about just the various things that salt affects. Green beans, broccoli, you know, things we love. Salt is on, salt is on everything. And, and we can think of it's the primary ingredient right? It's never like the thing, you don't ever uh, take a bite of mashed potatoes and say, man, that salt is really good, right? Do you do that? Anybody do that? You don't do that, okay? Salt is meant to season. It's meant to, to accompany a flavor. It's meant to highlight the natural whatever that's going on in the thing that you're eating. So the mashed potatoes are just, they're, they're given a flavor. They're accentuated by the salt. The french fries are accentuated by the salt. Your steak is accentuated by the salt. Whatever you're eating, whatever you're intaking, it's just a part of it. It's not the main thing. You don't, you'd be crazy to sit down in your home and like just start going at it with teaspoons of salt. Like that would be crazy. It's never the main thing. It's always part of, part of what you're eating. So salt acts as a seasoning. It salt seasons and then also salt preserves, right? So for us today, this idea of salt seasoning, it's probably the one that we go to the most. When I t- think about salt, you think about your cholesterol or your blood pressure, and you also think about how much you put on what or how much you like or dislike. That's the thing that we connect with most. But salt also is this preservative. And whenever Jesus was teaching on this hillside, more than likely the people that were listening to Jesus teach, they automatically kind of connected with this idea of being a preservative. That if you would take salt and you would rub it into meat that it would actually slow down the decay process. It would slow down something rotting or uh, becoming um, uh, more putrid. It, w- it would slow something down that isn't intended to last forever, but it would make it last longer. So salt acts as seasoning and it acts as a preservative. It hits both. Now, there are lots of other purposes for salt. Salt melts snow, it melts slugs, it makes the ice colder in an ice cream maker. I don't, how does it even do that? Why does it, why, why do you put, you put salt on your sidewalk to melt ice, but you put it in your ice cream maker to make the ice colder? Does anybody get that? No, nobody does, right? There are lots of uses for salt. There's lots of them. But when we look at this passage today, the things that we automatically connect with are the idea of seasoning and preservative. Those are two kind of just forerunning ideas of what light is. So light, salt, or what salt is, salt seasons and it preserves. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Light, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Um, so when I, was, uh, when I was a kid, this is the best kind of like mental picture I, I, I can go to anytime I think about the idea of light. When I was a kid, we would go to my grandparents' house and um, they live in kind of like mid-southern, central, south-central, south-central Illinois. And um, they would always take us to different places. They took us to Iowa one time to look at the corn and some kind of battleship. They um, one summer took us to, uh, to um, Twain Cave and Campground, Mark Twain Cave and Campground which is in Hannibal, Missouri. This is the birthplace of Mark Twain. And there are, anybody been there before? Anybody? Oh, what? Okay, I thought I was like the only one. Um, so we go there and there are all these things that you can do that kind of connect you to the history and story of Mark Twain. But one thing that we do is we go to the cave and campground and you go into the cavern. So it's probably like, um, I've never been to DeSoto Caverns, but it may be the same thing or, or Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Like any of those sorts of things where it's this big, big underground cave And we go in there and we're all kind of like walking and they're telling us kind of like the story that goes along with this cave. And then all of a sudden the lights go out. I mean, complete 
blackness, totally dark. I mean, you can't see anything. The tour guide tells you, wave your hand in front of your face. And, and what do you have? You've got nothing. I mean, you can't even see anything because you're so consumed by these layers and layers and layers of rock that the absence of light, it's felt immediately. Darkness is there. But then, then the guide, instead of all the lights coming back on, the guide takes his flashlight and he, he turns it on. And that little itty bitty flashlight, what seems like could be so small, it just, it, it, it disseminates the darkness. It pushes it away. You can't say that it's completely pitch black anymore. Even if I can't make out anything about my hand, I can sure enough wave it in front of my face to see a little bit of what's going on. Light, light, it moves forward. It overcomes darkness. Even just a little bitty bit of it, it overcomes darkness. Darkness cannot completely exist where light is. It can't. It's not possible. Even this morning, we were going to get our youngest son up, and we're walking in the hallway, and it's just a little dark. It's not completely black. You know, it's like not that early. But our, our thirdborn, he comes up with his, his Star Wars lightsaber, and he's shining the light on the floor, and it just lights up the hallway. You understand what I'm talking about? We know both the presence of light, but we know its absence in darkness at all as well. And what Jesus is saying is that just like you are salt, you season and preserve, you are also light. You overcome darkness. This is your identity, not you will become, not one day you are going to be, but as citizens of God's kingdom, people that have found their identity and the hope of Jesus, you are these two things. Kingdom citizens are salt and kingdom citizens are light. It's part of following him. It's our identity. It's the byproduct of who we are as we are found, as we are found in Jesus. So how are we like this? How do kingdom citizens act? How do people following Jesus, you can translate these two things the same way, kingdom citizens, people following Jesus. How, how are we people that offer seasoning and how are we people that preserve, just specifically when we look at salt? We live, we, we're seasoned in that we live from the hope of the kingdom. We live from the hope of the kingdom. The truth that we are not left on our own and that we have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That anything that we would put our hope or our identity in, that it will fail. It will fail, but Jesus will not. And we get to leave that seasoning with us everywhere that we go. We get to speak hope in places that are hopeless We get to speak good news into places that only hear bad news and live in despair. We get to speak eternity, things that last forever, into things that are temporal, things that are temporary and and not satisfying ultimately. We get to do that. We get to be seasoning. We get to be people that leave the, uh, Paul talks about it in terms of fragrance. We get to leave the fragrance of Christ, the seasoning of Christ, the truth of the character of citizens of the kingdom. We get to leave that everywhere we go with anyone that we come in contact with. When our identity is found as people that are committed to Jesus, as people that are found in Christ, the byproduct of who we are is that we're going to leave that seasoning any place we go. We're going we're gonna to leave that good news of that truth, the good news of the kingdom with anyone that we come in contact with. 
If we've been saved, we will seek for others to be saved. If we have been found, we will seek for others to be found. If we've been broken, we will seek for other people that are broken to be restored. And the only way that we can do those things is through leaving the seasoning, the flavor, the, the, the truth of Jesus with those that we come in contact with. So as we're salt, we, we season. As we're salt, we also, we also preserve I think this is an interesting idea when we think about being people um, that, are, that are following Jesus, that we are a preservative, right? God, um, God has put us, has put us in this world. And those of us that are following Christ, we get to be about preserving the good character and the good nature of his kingdom. Think about the, the, the spheres of influence that you have in life. Think about the idea of trying, uh, of being a person that really seeks to live out of that identity that you have in Jesus. But as you do that, as you're living out your identity in Jesus, you're preserving the character of God in those that are, that you're around. So you've got kind of three main, um, three main areas that we all kind of touch with. We've got family and friends. We've got work, vocation, student, whatever that is. Um, and then we have culture. Those are all th- three things that we come in contact with on a daily basis. Most of us on a daily basis. How are we acting as a preservative? How are we preserving the good character, the goodwill, the good nature of God in any of those three spheres. How am I with my kids? How am I with, um, with my parents? How am I um, in the people that I interact with at work? How am I as a person who is involved in culture, both consuming it and also participating it? So consuming it in terms of media, participating in it in terms of public life and, and even politics. How am I being a people that is preserving the good nature of God? How am I preserving the character, the elements of God's kingdom and the world that we live in? Now, remember when we talked about salt acting as a preservative, we said that it is, it is prolonging the life of something that has an end. Okay, so it's making something last longer that still is not gonna last forever. No amount of salt that you put on a piece of meat is gonna make it last for 20 years, let alone, I don't know, 20 days really well, okay? But what we're about is this world that we're living in, we have this opportunity to be a people that are preserving the good nature and the character of God while the, while the kingdom of God is here, but not fully accomplished when, this, when, when history is over here. And those of us that have put our faith and our hope in Christ are with Jesus in heaven. We still have a chance here. We still have time here. God still has opportunity here for us to preserve the character of his kingdom. So we season and we preserve, we live from the hope of the kingdom and we live to advance the kingdom as we act as preservatives, okay? So we season, we preserve salt. We illuminate like light. We illuminate. We extend the good news of the kingdom everywhere we go. So there are, um, there are a lot of things in life that we need light for. I mean, the majority of our waking hours, we want light present in some way. We need it when we're sitting at our desk. We need it when we're trying to read. We need it when we're trying to spend time around the table together. There's gotta be light so we can see, so we can interact. But when that light is present, it affects everything. When that light is present, it affects everything. Um, Even thinking back about um, thinking back about uh, the storms that we had come through about five years ago and we were without power in our house for um, I think almost a week, right? So night would come and everything was still and the lights are out 
And Holly and I are figuring out a way to have candles lit, to be able to interact, to be able to, to keep on going with life because the presence of that light affects all things. And that's what we get to do as people who are part of the kingdom of God. We get to shine. We get to spread the good news of Jesus to everyone and everything that we come in contact with. We get to have that same sort of effect when our identity is found in Jesus. We season, we preserve, we illuminate. If we look further in this passage, um, look back at Matthew chapter five with me real quick. He says a couple things here. He doesn't just say that you are, the, you are salt and you are light. He talks about um, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. The usefulness, the pervasiveness of these elements are intended to be massive. We're not just talking about you're a a little bit of salt and you just kind of keep it to yourself. You're like throwing that junk everywhere. You're not just a light and you just keep your flashlight holed up in your room by yourself and you don't share it with anybody else. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. But the influence, the effect of who we are as the people of God found in him should be everywhere. He says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be tossed under people's feet. Verse 14, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all who are in, who are in that house. He talks about who we are. He talks about our usefulness. He even uses kind of the, the counter idea in there. So if you're not salt, if you're not a person that has found your identity in Jesus and are living that out in a way that seasons and preserves and illuminates, if you're not doing that, the way that this passage reads, Jesus is saying, that's useless. There's no point to it. I mean, even the concept for us, can you think of salt losing its saltiness? Can you think of salt losing its flavor? By nature, sodium chloride is sodium chloride, and it's going to taste like sodium chloride. So by what Jesus is saying here, he's saying if your identity is found in him, then you are salt. You'll season, you'll preserve. It's part of following Jesus. It's part of who you are. To say that you are something else is completely, is completely useless. He talks about the usefulness, and I love this when he talks about um, light. He says, nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. What happens if you take a candle and you put a cup over the top of it? What happens? It goes out. It extinguishes it. But what does he say? He says, you don't hide it. You don't put it out. You don't hide it under a bushel. No. He says, let it shine. Don't don't push it away. But what does he say? You elevate it. You put it on top of a lampstand and it benefits every person in that house, every person that you're around. The illumination living out of identity, of relationship that we have in Christ, it should affect everyone and we should elevate it, not hide it. And we live in a time, and listen to me, guys, I am not like a cultural gloom and doom guy, but we live in a time where following Jesus and finding our identity in him is not the most popular thing we can do on the planet. And there are lots of things that we could be tempted to do to try and subdue who we are as a people belonging to the kingdom of God. 
We could hide it. We could be ashamed of it. We're going to hit a couple of these things in a minute. But what Jesus is saying here is you do not minimize it. You maximize it. You do not hide it. You elevate it. If you're a person that is following Jesus, you shine the light of Jesus for the good of everyone around. He says, you don't put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I want you to just think back with me just for a minute, okay? You may be even able to connect there just by being in some countryside here, here in modern time. But if you're living in this time and Jesus is talking, and he's talking about light and lampstands and the good of everyone in the house, and he's saying how a city on a hill cannot be hidden, there's not, there's not modern electricity. There's not big lampstands going on, big um, telephone poles on the street with light shining down in the street so people can see where they're going. You've got little flicker flames, and that's only if you have enough oil to make it happen. And there may be little villages and little houses kind of like scattered everywhere. But when all of those houses are put together and they're set on top of a hill and that light is shining all together in the midst of pitch blackness, it cannot be hidden. It can't be hidden. And so what does Jesus say here? He says, just like Nobody sets a, a, takes a lamp and, and puts it under a basket. He elevates it like a city on a hill can't be hidden. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Okay, when we get to this verse, you may be asking all along, how do I look at salt and look at light and say that this, what Jesus is talking about here is identity, that what he's talking about here is purpose. And verse 16 drives home the point. He's saying that all these things, if you're going to be light, if you're going to illuminate, if you're going to be salt, if you're going to season and preserve, you're doing it all for the glory of God. You're doing it all for him. He is your goal. He is your purpose. He is what you are to be about. Not yourself, not self-elevation, not self-promotion, not self-affirmation, but our lives are to be spent for the sake of glorifying God for lifting him up, to pointing people to Jesus. So as we look at this idea, as we look at what what is happening here and we drill it all down to the idea of identity, that my life should be one that is lived in such a way that people look at my life and they don't stop with me. They don't look at Chad and just see what Chad says or what Chad does or how Chad lives. But what Jesus is saying is that people would look at me and they would give glory to God, that they would point to Jesus. In some ways, we act as simple connectors. People look at us. They see the goodwill and the good nature of God lived out in our lives. They see redeemed people living as redeemed. They see people who were once dead, now living alive. And connecting people to Jesus, the life giver. That's what they do. They see in us. That's what Jesus is saying. So do these things, but only out of an identity, only out of a root that we have been found in Jesus, that we would season, preserve, illuminate, only out of relationship that we have in Christ. So that all these things we do, that people would look at us, how we live, how we behave, how we engage culture, how we interact with our families, how we love our neighbors, how we care for those that were around, they would look at us and they would see the goodness of God in their midst, right there in front of them and give glory to God, our father, our king. When we're given identity in Christ, when we're following Jesus, 
We're given an identity. We're given, we're named as his people. We're given a responsibility. And that's what this text is telling us today. Not only have we been named and and, and been given access to relationship with God through the person of Jesus, we're given the responsibility to live out the good will and care of God and those that we are around. But we're also given empowerment. We're not left to do this on our own. God doesn't just say, all right, you are a redeemed people. Now go and figure it out. It's a one-time transaction. God gives us his spirit. God gives us the victory of Christ on our behalf, the power of God to live out the fourth thing, the mission that he has given us, that we would, that we would give glory to our father who is in heaven. I think um, when we talk about glory a lot, sometimes this gets lost in translation um, and, and it becomes kind of this like churchy word. You don't really use the idea of glory any place else, but in the context of church. Most, most times, right? So if you look at me and I say, I want my life to be one that gives glory to God. What I'm saying to you is that I want my life to be one that points people to the goodness of God, ultimately, ultimately through the work that he's done in Jesus Christ. I want my life to point to something besides myself. I want my life to count for something more than just these things that I am doing just things that are temporary. I want my life to count for the eternal. That the identity that I have been given, it has been given a greater purpose. So I think we have some questions here. I think the the question is, when we look at the access that we have to identity, to, to, to permanent identity that matters, okay? Why do we keep searching for identity in other places? Why do we keep living in ways that we're trying to achieve something for ourselves? or gain um, greater value for who we are? Why do we keep living? Why do we keep living like that? If we've been given the best, most worthy identity through the person of Jesus that anybody could ever want or dream or ask for, if we are under ultimate authority and perfect power in the kingdom of God, why would we be searching to be called citizens of another kingdom? Or why would we be trying to establish for ourselves our own kingdom? If he has ultimate authority and perfect power, why would we want to search for something, search for something else? I think that we um, have a couple roots that push us in that direction. I think often um, I get, we get, I get lost in trying to establish my own kingdom more than I do recognizing the citizen of whose kingdom I am. And I, I even like just, here's a moment of transparency for you guys, okay? Even this weekend, you know, I'm gonna come up here and I'm gonna walk us through this text this morning. I think about the interactions that I have with my kids over the weekend. And I think about how am I being a person that is seasoning my family, that is preserving the good nature of God, that is shining the light of Christ in my home? How am I living as a citizen of the kingdom of God? And how am I trying to establish Chad's own little kingdom over here where things are proper and orderly and go exactly the way that I think that they should go and that everything is bending to my will and to my reign and to my rule? Does this connect with anybody out there this morning? This is where truth hits home. We're not just, this, this isn't just like some idea that you come in here and we walk through this text that if you have grown up in church or been in the South, you've heard this before or seen it on the back of somebody's car. 
But what we're saying here is that where we find our identity, it actually matters that it affects the way that we live, that you can look at the way that I live and you can tell where my identity is found. And if it points to anyone other than Jesus, if it points to anyone other than Jesus, that it is not found in him. That's what this text is saying. You live as seasoning, you live as preservatives, you live as, as lights, as illuminating the good nature of God. And you do all these things so that your life will count for more, so that you will point to Jesus with who you are. It makes everything else kind of pale in comparison. It makes everything else kind of like feel like it, it doesn't matter as much anymore. Anything else that I would work for, or try to accomplish, or, or would even have any sort of significance in my mind, it just pales in comparison and pointing to the goodness of God. I think we have some questions to ask here. Um, so are we building our own kingdoms? Are we, are, we, are we trying to establish something here? Is that one of our hangups? Are, are we afraid of what people will think of us or what they will say or how we feel like we might be marginalized or pigeonholed? That's not what Jesus says here. He doesn't say watch out how, for, for how people are gonna think about you. What Jesus says here is you go and you live out of your identity. You live out of what Jesus has accomplished for you in his life and death and his resurrection. You are God's good nature to the world physically. So are we living for our identity or are we living from our identity? Are we living for, living in such a way that we are trying to gain approval for ourselves or trying to convince ourselves that we um, have worth or have value because we have this job or live in this neighborhood or our kids um, are on this team or because our wives um, do this or because pick, pick, pick your blank. Am I trying to live for that? Is that what validates me and gives me worth? Or am I living from the identity that I have in Christ? I think a good question to ask is, how are, our, how are our hearts and minds, how are they bent? Like when I'm processing my actions or processing my decisions, are they bent toward what are people gonna think of me? How are people gonna respond to me? What is this gonna make me look like? Or am I asking myself the question, is this pointing to who I really am? If, I found him, if I'm found in Jesus, if my identity is in him, is this pointing to him? Am I being a connector? Am I connecting people to the goodness of God in the way, in the way that I live? Now, we walk through these questions, we walk through these texts, um, these, uh, this text, and we talk about finding root identity and even these assessment, these diagnostic questions that I'm kind of tossing out there, we're able to identify our flaws. We're able to look at them and say, maybe the way that I acted at home this weekend or the way that we've interacted in our jobs or in our neighborhoods or within culture, whatever, that we can see times in our lives where we have not been people who are seasoning and preserving and illuminating. We're not, we're not connecting people to the good nature of God. And we can, what we can do is we can turn around and we can just feel the weight of condemnation. And the weight of condemnation says, try harder, work more, do better. But that's not gospel. That's not gospel. That is not the good news. That is condemnation. The good news says that Jesus has accomplished for you what you can't accomplish. That Jesus has given you identity that cannot be tarnished, it cannot be stained, and it cannot be taken away. So don't try to work harder. Don't try to do more. 
find your identity in Jesus. And when we are truly satisfied in him, when our identity is truly found in him, that lives out in who we are. We're processing life all through that lens of, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I am found. I was nobody, but now I'm somebody because of Jesus. It affects all of who we are. So as we're responding to this text, responding to this passage today, as you start going through that catalog file of how you failed, let's move past that, okay? We're gonna spend some time just in reflection here in just a second. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is to take that catalog file of failure and to repent, to turn from it, to ask God to forgive you for it, and that you would believe the truth of Jesus Christ for your life and you would move forward, that you would ask God to use you, that you would believe that he's given you an identity, that he's given you purpose, that he's given you responsibility, that he's empowered you, that you are to live life on mission, pointing people to the goodness of Jesus. Pray for that, ask for that. He wants that. He wants it and he'll use us for it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. As you process this passage, I would just ask God to help your heart turn toward him. That as we think about how our lives can be lived for something more than ourselves, as we can point people to Jesus, that we'd ask forgiveness for those ways that we have not, that we would repent, that we would turn from them, that we would ask for forgiveness. Let's do that now. Let's just ask for forgiveness for the ways that we've not pointed people toward Jesus. And then together, let's just believe. Let's believe the truth of God's word that he wants to use us to take this good news of Jesus to everybody that we come in contact with. Believe that truth and ask him to use you. That we would think before we speak, that we would process before we act, that we would leverage our lives for the name of Jesus. Father, this morning, we thank you that you love us and that it is your love, it's your kindness that draws us to repentance, that draws us to turning from ourselves and turning from self-pursuit and turning towards you. We thank you that your love and in the way that you have lived on our behalf and died on our behalf and rose for us and will come again is evidence of your love for us, that you've given us worth and identity and value. And this morning we say together that we put our hope, we put our hope in you. That everything else, just in this moment, everything else pales in comparison to our lives counting and pointing people to the goodness of Jesus. So this morning as your people, we ask that you would use us, that you'd use us where we are, that you'd use us in the workplace, use us in our homes, that you'd use us in our society and in our culture that we would be a people that shine the good news of Jesus everywhere that we go. God, that you would use us. 
that we would experience the goodness of being used by you, but ultimately that you would receive glory. We pray, pray all these things in the good, good name of Jesus. Amen.